Hi, this is Sophia from the Gray Stage Podcast. I'd like for all of you to know that the Justice for David Crowley and Family group is located on Facebook. In this group, we highly encourage our members to read all the documents that we have gathered for this case. You can find those documents up in the group files or on Greg Fernandez Jr.'s website titled thegraystagewordpress.com. Together we can work to find justice for David, Kamel, and little Ronnie. Merry Christmas. listening to the gray stage podcast this is a special bonus episode we're going to take a look at some of or take a listen rather to some of Catherine's um past videos and we've got five great videos here and we're going to start this off with uh, the one with dr kelly dr kelly interview from april 3rd 2018 make sure to subscribe to Catherine's channel that is Catherine m-i-c-h-e-l-e Look that up on YouTube and her channel will pop right up. Just make sure there's only one E in her last name. And uh, thanks again, Catherine, for all of your hard work. And thought it'd be really good to make sure people who have not seen some of those, some of these past videos um, or listened to them. I wanted to make it easy for them. And I think these are some of the best, just some of the best. So this is from the Catherine Files, Volume 1. And here we go with Dr. Kelly interview, April 3rd, 2018. Hi YouTube, it's Catherine Michelle. Um, today I had a meeting with um, Dr. Leon Kelly from the um, El Paso County Coroner's Office. He's um, a medical examiner and he helped me to understand the autopsy reports. Um, we didn't discuss everything in them, but we discussed a few um, topics uh, that we will be going over in a minute. Um, however, um, he did ask me though, he was um, kind of uncertain as to why he asked me he's like well why are you researching this he goes what got you interested and I said well I had been watching I am um, a YouTube video caught my attention about four months ago and I said I just started really digging into it and he's like so that's it he goes get let me get this straight he goes you saw a YouTube video and then you just took it from there and um, he says, do you know anybody in the case? And I said, no. I said, I don't have a monkey in the circus. I don't care if he's guilty or if he's not guilty. I said, just after reading the reports and putting everything together, I, I can't see that he's guilty. And I, said, and I said, that's right. I just saw a YouTube video and it caught my attention. So I decided to start researching it. And so far, these are my notes so far, just so you can see what I've been doing. And this is not even all of the reports yet. That's only about half of the available reports. And um, so I'll be adding to this binder. And uh, so, um, and he asked then what my um, experience has been. So I figured, I, you know, most of you know that I was an EMT, I went to nursing school. But what a lot of you don't know is that uh, research has been a passion of mine for a very, very long time. Um, one of the 
biggest cases, I guess you could say, I did research on was um, on the Robert Logan and Mike Logan case. Um, a book was written about their um, their convictions as murders, and that book was called Evil Intentions by Ronald J. Watkins. Um, now, how did I get to come to know them? <laughs> My mother married Robert Logan, and um, at the time I had just had a book published, and it was, um, it was an intrigue. They call it romance intrigue, but for me it was mainly intrigue novel. But you can't, if publishers want to publish it, you have no say where they're going to put it. So anyway, um, when they found out that I had written a book and had it published, then they wanted me to look into their case. So I bought the book, Evil Intentions, and I started reading it. And again, a whole lot in that book was just like, okay, how they investigated it didn't make sense, didn't make sense, didn't make sense. And um, again, I didn't care. Um, I had no allegiance to either one of these guys, zero. I mean, they were in prison for murder. So, um, and even if they weren't, if they were still on trial, just because my mother was married to one of them, does not mean, again, it would be, you know, I'm going to take my mom's side. That's not how I operate. And in fact, I've even turned my own brother in when he stole uh, merchandise or equipment from a college. I have no allegiance to anybody once I do something wrong. Right, wrong, or indifferent. If you're wrong, I'm not going to be your buddy to hide your crime. So, um, and with the uh, the Logan brothers' crimes, crimes, uh, they both were convicted. Um, Robert Logan has since been released from prison. Uh, Mike Logan... Um, who I believe it was Mike Logan and Jesse Gillies who were the, the main um, characters in, in the book Evil Intentions. Uh, Mike will never get out. He's, he has a life sentence. Jesse Gillies was, um, he was executed. And um, I spent four years researching that, making multiple trips down to Arizona. They were in to the different prisons. They weren't always in the same prison, so I would have to make... Uh, trips and get special permission because down there if you have one family relative on um, on an inmate's visitation list you can't have another one so I had to write in advance and and get special permission and I had to tell them what I was doing and then again you had to get permission to have pencil and paper because those things are not allowed so I spent four years um, researching these crimes now a lot of uh, the inconsistencies I found and the lack of investigation on the part of the Arizona Police Department, it was appalling. They, I mean, they did a really poor job. However, what they did get right, these guys were guilty. Guilty as a day is long. And they both admitted it. But they were looking for an easy way out, and they were hoping that I could get Jesse Gillies off or get his sentence reduced because he was sentenced to death. So um, the day came when the state attorney's office contacted me and asked me for my research, especially where it was referring to Jesse. And that was really difficult for me. Not because I didn't want to share it, but because I told him, I said, what I have is not going to help your client. And I don't want to feel like I'm going to be responsible. Even though I knew I wasn't responsible for his death sentence, I didn't want to be like he had one last ditch effort and they were looking for my material 
And I kept saying, please don't, just, this is not what you want to see. But they insisted, so I sent it to him. And uh, about a month later, he was executed. So I, it, it took a long time to deal with that. And um, the hard, again, the hard part was knowing he was guilty and what a horrible person he really was. Um, not nice. But, you know, long story short, my research days go way back. And um, so when I find something, I just don't go willy-nilly. I um, Oftentimes it'll seem like I'm going in circles because that's what I'll do. I'll find something, go, wait a second, something here isn't sitting right. I'll research that, come up with a different idea. And then, and, and I keep going until finally everything is condensed into the best answer that is can be proven. What you think, what you think you know, doesn't matter. It's what you can prove. So anyway, um, I thought that was really interesting he asked. So there's a little bit more of my background. And um, the last job I had, I did a lot of um, research um, at my job, and it was a government contracting facility. Um, and so I, I did a lot of research for them as well. So I have a real different way of researching, and it may not agree with what everybody says. And when I come out with something, um, that's why I say at this point, this is what I think, this is what is making sense to me. And then it'll come back later when I get other people's information, like today there's gonna to be some changes because of what um, Dr. Kelly, how he explained to me the reports. And um, I have no problem with that. You know, I don't understand everything, and it's good to get somebody's opinion who deals with all this stuff. So, what I spoke with, with Dr. Kelly today about, um, I asked him his background, and he has been a medical examiner from 2007 until present. He got his degree at Indiana University, and he's done um, right around 4,000 autopsies in his life. He specializes in strangulation and sudden infant death, he does not have a forensic background, although he understands some of it. It's it's not his core background. So he was able to help me understand some things, but he couldn't explain everything. Or he, what I appreciated about him is he said, well, um, this is how I understand it, but there's not enough information and my opinion doesn't count, which is true. Our opinions don't count. Um, and so I asked him if he had, and, and then the first thing I, I gave him, were the autopsy reports of David, Kamel, and Renaya. And that's all he read at first. He read those, and then I showed him a photo. And so I asked him, I said, um, do you have experience with small to medium-sized dogs scavenging on humans, or human remains? Sorry about that. And he said, yes, a lot of experience in that area. And I said, would you conclude a dog ate the hands of a victim if the arms are located under the body with no signs of the body being moved by the dog to gain access to the hands? And I was reading this from the police report. And he said he would not make that determination. He said, because there's not enough information to interpret. He says, the way I was reading it, the hands are like this. He says, the hands could have been like this. They could have been like this. He said, there is not enough information to make that determination. I said, okay, or, or to interpret in, in that way. I said, okay, makes sense. And um, I said, and if dogs are chewing, I go, are there usually teeth marks on the bones and skin? And um, he said, at the end of the skin, no. Um, 
But on the bones, he said not necessarily. It would depend on how the dog scavenged, how fresh the, the bones were, and how long the body had been decomposing. So again, it was another one of those. It's, it's a supposition, not necessarily something he could answer yes or no in this case. Um, then we talked about, I showed him the photo, and I said, if you walked in fresh to the scene, what would your first initial gut reaction be? And he said, my, my first thought would be, where's the dog? So he said that he truly feels like the dog did scavenge and did eat some of these body parts. He doesn't know if it was all of it. Again, there's just not enough information. And, and um, I haven't seen the, all of the photos. He said he would have to see the photos on exactly how those bodies were laying. Um, but right now with what we have, he said there's just not enough information. And then I asked him, um, and oh, and I also asked him, I said, well, I'm, I'm still trying to find that report. I know I read it several times where they state the dog was thin and dehydrated. So I asked him, I said, could a dog be dehydrated if it had been sustaining itself on human flesh? And he said, yes, it could be dehydrated. So that was helpful to me. Um, and then I said, how far advanced is decomp if the internal organs can be weighed and measured? He says, you know, as long as there's some kind of fluid, if, they, if um, they're still there, they will be taken out. If they have to be scooped or whatever, then, then they're measured. Um, and it also depends on what the moisture con uh, content is of not only the room, but of the body and how far is, is decomp. And then I asked him, I said, I was told lividity can, uh, can't be discerned once a body is refrigerated. And I said, is that true? Because I did get that from a deputy coroner from another state. I asked them about this. And they emphatically stated that once refrigeration happens, it, it changes um, the body and how the decomposition is reacting. He said in his experience, though, it's the opposite. He said, let me, um, that the line of lividity will always be present. Um, he said, as the body decomposes, blood and liquid is what leaks through and lividity is blurred. So you might not be able to see it as well, but he says it's there, um, I guess. Now this is me putting words into his mouth. This is what I understood him to mean. So as they start to do a de um, an autopsy, as they're cutting through, um, you might not be able to see it due to the decomposition, the, the marbling and the slippage. Um, but I'm going to assume that once they start to cut, then you might be able to see the, the line of lividity somewhere on that. Um, but he says it, it depends. But he said, usually it's there, but it's going to be blurred. So you have to know what to look for. And then I said, can you determine approximate time of death with a last date known to be alive, the decomposition and the room temperature? Because they were stating that the Crowleys died approximately three weeks before they were found and so on and so forth. And he said, no, he said, no one can a very rough estimate but no one should determine. However, looking at the decomposition from, from the photos, he says his rough guess would be that they were not dead for three weeks, that they were only dead from a few days to a week, that that is what the decomp process looked to him, only to that stage. Um, he was very, very clear 
that he does not feel that those bodies were laying there for any longer than a week, which is interesting. I, f I found that really interesting because everything states that the bodies had been there for three weeks. And I even told him that the glass door was cracked a quarter of an inch, that the heat was set at 68 and all of that. And he says, he goes, well, that can matter. However, the rate of where they were, the body with the marbling and, and you could still see, and even though there was some mummification of the hands and feet of those of the feet that were bare, he said, no, in his, in his professional opinion, it was no more than a week. Um, and then um, I was talking, then I brought up the subject of the gunshot wounds um, about being indeterminate. And I, I said, is the distance considered indeterminate in a gunshot wound to the head when stippling and gunshot residue is missing? Yet there's a circular impression around the gunshot wound. He stated he doesn't know what that what the report means by impression. He said it could um, it oh my notes I my handwriting is very sloppy just so you can see it. I'm having a hard time reading it. Um, he says he does not know what the report means by impression could be due to the weapon or could be due to swelling it, um, of the tissues due to decomposition. Um, so he said, again, they should not have used the word impression because there's no, um, he said, um, sometimes as the tissues swell around um, a gunshot wound, that tissues can look like an impression, but that doesn't mean there's an impression there. It's just often due to decomposition. So he said he, he wouldn't say that. Um, with By what he read, he felt that that was not worded correctly. And then I said, would a circular impression around a gunshot wound be indicative of a silencer? He said, not necessarily. Again, not enough information. He said, could be, but that doesn't mean it was. Um, and then I said, what does the description of de decomposition tell you about the deaths? Who died first? Um, was there significant time between the deaths? And he said, there's no way to tell. Um, he just said that they... Um, let me think. I don't want to put words into his mouth. We might not have discussed that any further, so I'm going to leave it at that. He just stated that there was really no way to tell, but that they were all dead and dead for about a week. And so I asked him how mummification is influenced, and he says it's influenced by the environment as well as what the body part is resting on. Like if, um, and he showed me a photo of a of a body that had mummification of one hand, but the other hand looked, well, almost normal. Uh, I, you know, if I, if I saw that hand, I would go, okay, that's, that's a dead hand. But anyway, there was a distinction between how the two looked. One didn't have mummification, one did. And he says that that was due in part because of where these hands were resting. Um, if it's like laying on a carpet where there's more heat going to be absorbed, the mummification process, process will happen faster. Whereas if something is either like someone's wearing socks or shoes, or if they're laying on a, a tile or a bare, or a bare floor, then it's going to take longer to mummify. So that's why, um, probably why there's really no definitives, but probably why David's feet in his hand and then little Renaya's hand that was resting on the floor were mummified and then why Kamal's feet were not. Um, what else did we talk about? We talked about a lot of stuff. Um, 
I have notes everywhere. Let me go here. And oh, and um, at first he was, um, you know, when he's reading the reports and and um, we're just going over the cursory part. And you know, he started laughing. He goes, "Why are you even looking at this?" He goes, "It's it, it seems to me that the guy did it." And I said, "I agree. At the cursory level, that's what it looks like." I said, "However, when you start looking at." Um, things that don't make sense. I said, you have neighbors stating that they heard three gunshot wounds. There were six casings found. Um, and when you look at the gun, only three shots fired. Um, and then I said, because uh, he asked too about the gun, he says, were his prints on the gun? And I said, yes, his and his daughter's prints were found on the gun. I said, however, on the gun safe, only the wife's prints were found. And he's like, well, that doesn't make sense. And I go, no, it doesn't. And then I showed him the, the notes, um, the submit to Allah now. And I know some people keep saying Alan, and I don't see an N there. I see an H. I, but I can't get a clear enough um, picture of that. You may be correct. It may say Alan, but it doesn't look like Alan, um, especially with what was written on the wall. And he'd asked about that, too. He goes, well, what's that writing on the wall? And I showed it to him. And then I showed him David's handwriting. I showed him Dan's handwriting, and then I showed him the what was written on the notepad and then what was written on the wall. And he's like, well, that's kind of curious. I said, exactly. It's not David's handwriting. And um, and then uh, two, and, and it, um, what else did we talk about? Oh, the footprints, the, the supposed footprints. And I said, could you please take a look at this? So he's looking at them, and I said, can you tell me why in these photos it's only the right foot that and that's the only foot that it, if it is a footprint some of them actually look like a handprint but I don't know and um again he's like going well that doesn't make any sense either and I said I know I said now do you see why do you see why I, I'm continuing to investigate this and um he's like well yeah you know and so by the time I spent about an hour with him wasn't enough time. We didn't get enough time to go over everything. And he did the best he could, could answering the, the questions I had. But by the time I left, excuse me, ugh, throat's dry. He had more questions than answers, just like we all do. So he went from at the very beginning when he first just read the report and saw the picture to, well, why are you investigating this? Because this could be what it is, to after... I started showing him the police reports and then the BCA DNA reports to, um, he was like, huh, okay, this doesn't seem right. I said, well, now you know why I'm investigating it because it just doesn't seem right. And that's kind of where we left it. Um, I, he did, I will be getting back in touch with him with uh, more questions that I have because I just didn't get a chance. I wanted to ask him actually a couple more questions that were very pertinent, but just ran out of time. And I'm really grateful to Dr. Um, Kelly for uh, doing this because he actually put off a conference call he had with someone else to sit there with me for another 15 minutes to help, you know, kind of wrap up where we were. Um, Oh, 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 let me explain. Um, he did over the, the autopsy reports with the gunshot wounds. Um, 
this was really, really important. Um, oh, where is that? <laughs> ah. Okay, and then um, if I'm repeating myself, I'm really, really sorry. But he explained why um, it would be considered indeterminate. Uh, he stated that there are, uh, I have to find that because it was made so much sense when he, uh, when he was telling me about that. Um, on the back of one of these pages yeah I do that too because I think um, it's really important that we understand how he explains the three oh here we go there are three types of um, of uh, terminal <coughs> terminology they use oh it's so dry here when they're um, writing up the reports. One being direct contact where something is actually touching up a certain part of the body. And then um, intermediate where it's two to three feet away. And then distant where there's no evidence other than the bullet. And inter um, intermediate where it's two to three feet away, he says there will usually be gunpowder and stippling. And of course, with the um, gun press the head, he said there will be stippling, gunpowder, and everything within that wound. And distant being the only thing they know, they can't say how far because the only thing they found was a bullet or a bullet fragment. Um, he did state that on Renaya's. Um, Of course, that okay. Somebody had a question, and actually, a few people have had a question about how to determine the entrance wound versus the exit wound. And um, he stated that um, okay, I'm almost sure you said this. If you didn't, Dr. Kelly, please tell me that because maybe I read this somewhere else. But with the entrance wound, there will be internal beveling of of the in this case the skull and the exit wound will be external beveling. So that's how they can tell the difference between the entrance wound and the exit wound. Um, and um, he said that, whose autopsy were we talking about? Oh, when they were describing, um, I think it was on um, Kamel's, uh, Kamel's gunshot wound. Um, when they're talking about how it entered and where it was located, where they're talking about, you know, an inch from the head and a half inch from the shoulder. Um, he said that that report was written by an amateur, probably somebody in training, because what they stated made no sense at all. Um, and it was not written correctly. And, um, he said in the sense of calling them indeterminate, he says since there was, wasn't was any um, gunshot residue or, or anything, at least I don't think there was on the bodies other than maybe, then that would be the correct term, would be um, intermediate. And um, 
he said that their uh, decomp rate for all three bodies is the same thing that they say in here is early to moderate. Um, again, he stated only about a week, a week dead. And he did feel, he was very emphatic in stating that he felt the dog did indeed do some scavenging, but without seeing photos and actually being able to read the medical examiner's report, which is different than the autopsy report, he couldn't say for sure which part of the body was scavenged or, or whatever. But I did ask him, I said, well, what about the fractured rib? Because he said, um, well, this was before he um, actually saw the, the uh, picture of the bodies. And he uh, said, just by reading the reports, he said, well, yeah, a dog could take the arm. I said, okay, now let's look at the photo. And I said, well, what about her fractured rib? And he's like, mm, not likely. So again, there's a, a fracture to a rib that doesn't explain anything, um, does not explain. There's nothing there to explain how her rib got fractured. And I think that was pretty much all we talked about. He was also um, couldn't understand why they didn't do handwriting analysis. So that should have been done. Um, and also um, was he was curious on how the blood was actually located on, on the bullets and on some of the areas. He did say that just because there wasn't blood on the floor around where they were, he goes, that doesn't mean that's where they were shot. Okay, we've all said that too. However, with how they're laid, and, and at first he says, it was, uh, again, he said it was possible that David could have done this until I pointed out that I said, well, but the position of David's body will tell you a different story. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, in the police reports, as they're describing it, and I went and I read him that part where, at least I think I read him that part. I read him some parts, but it's in here where it describes that um, David is laying there and then Kamel and her sweater is laying on top of David's leg. And then that's when he goes, well, that shouldn't be. And I, again, I said, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. And where the blood is located on the floor, and I'm not sure I didn't do enough research yet on that to find out whose blood that was. But um, he said they were um, probably in a standing position and also at a low um, point where there's a low trajectory because there's um, like spider going this way and then drops. So it's kind of a mixture. So they could have been standing and fell um, or something like that. But again, that doesn't make sense. Because he said dogs do lick up all the blood. I think that's my point I was getting to. And he showed me another photo of, um, of a body that had been eaten by uh, this particular person's um, Labrador puppy. They called it a puppy, but I know Labrador Labrador dogs can be big. And I know how hard they bite. I've had one myself. So, but like I told him, I said, but that skull is still intact. The spine is still intact. All the soft tissues are gone. And I think most of the ribs were gone, but the skull is still completely intact. Um, he said that could have been due to the fact that that they believe that particular person died of a natural cause, but maybe the difference was was because um, the uh, Crowleys were shot in the head. Again, everything's speculation at this point because we don't have all of the information. Um, so again, all in all, when he started off with a certain opinion after just reading the reports and then looking at the, the photo, but then 
as we're going through it more and more and I start bringing out more of the questionable details that were bypassed, he wasn't quite as adamant anymore. He just got to the point where he's like, okay, yeah, there's, there's not enough information for me to tell you one way or another. So I felt that that was pretty hopeful um, because it was no longer, um, you know, um, asking, well, yeah, the gun is right there. And it was that gun that shot the bullets and they're the only ones in the house. And I'm like, okay, but you have a back door that's been opened. You have a fight going on between the brothers and you have a, another sister trying to stir up trouble and, you know, yelling at them in another email. And then Kamel jumps in and says, hey, wait a second, we've had contact and, you know, you need to take it down a notch or two. But my interpretation, not hers, not necessarily what Kamel said. And, um, and I said there was, and, and I also mentioned to him that, um, I think it's Detective Klonikos, who was the um, electronics device um, uh, investigator, how he went through every device that they were, you know, they could pull from the Crowley house and he could find zero, zero, no motive whatsoever. And he went all the way back, I think to, to um, early to mid 2000s and um, so he's telling Detective Bone, he goes, I can't give you a reason. There's no motive here whatsoever. And um, uh, there was some other, and again, you know, he's not a detective. He just found that quite interesting. And, and I said, yeah. And I said, there's um, another guy who, um, Sean, I believe is the one who owed um, the Minnesota's, uh, the state of Minnesota, like $38,000 in taxes and how he's yelling at David saying, hey, you know what, why are you going to do this? Because you're going to send me to prison. And so the more information that he was, uh, Dr. Kelly was getting, like I said, it went from it, uh, my take on how he was reacting. It went from, uh, well, yeah, I'd say he did it to not so sure, not saying he did it, but I'm no longer saying he really did. So I, I, if to me, that was it was great. It, it was good progress, and he answered a lot of my questions, and I think a lot of your questions as well. And the main thing being that um, until we can get better photos, he said he would like to see the actual photo of how the bodies actually were laying. The 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 photo of how Kamel is laying and how her sweaters on top of David's leg and. Um, you know, just things like that, because that's, that's extremely important. He couldn't have been standing to shoot himself in the head and then have his leg end up underneath her sweater. So it's these little details you have to pull out and go, hmm, okay, we got to look into this. So all in all, I, I thought it was really good. And Dr. Kelly did say he would answer any more of my questions that I had. And I know I'll have more because it was so rushed and so much information and he did his best to go into it in depth as much as he could. And he showed me different photos of um, dog scavenging. Um, and what I saw in those photos, they didn't resemble what I saw in the Crowley home. However, he saw uh, similarities. I mean, he's, he's the medical examiner, but I didn't see that type of, um, of injury. And in the photos that he showed me, Every part that was exposed, that was bare skin, but when the dog was involved, it was gone almost, you know, with the exception of the lower half of the extremities. 
you know, waist on up, gone, down to the spine and the skull, gone. But the spine and the skull were there. So, um, which is totally different because David had an exposed abdomen. Renaya had a completely exposed abdomen. Her face was not touched. Her head was not touched. Yet David's and Kamel's heads are gone. Um, so if any of you out there has um, better photos or, or the one that especially shows how um, Kamel was lying on top of her hands and how the bodies were actually from a different angle, not the angle we have, um, please send them to me and my email address will be down below. Thank you and hopefully that will explain a little bit more and I hope you got as much out of that with um, Dr. Kelly as I did. And I, you know, again, I really felt that he was being very, um, very, very helpful. However, we have to keep in mind his specialty is not forensics, but he has um, experience in um, in this particular area, but it's not his expertise. So, and he was, you know, clear to state that, and he was very clear to state that his opinion and nobody's opinion will matter. What you think versus where your expertise lies are two separate things. So, okay, thank you, Dr. Kelly, and um, I will be getting back in touch with you again, and I just, um, again, hope you guys, hope this helped you a little bit, and I think we're getting closer and closer to a resolution, and um, I'm now looking for handwriting experts. Um, I'm going to be sending stuff off. Um, pay for it out of my own pocket if I have to, because I really think we have to do this with science. We have to prove one way or another. If he did it, it will be proven. If he didn't do it, it will be proven. Um, you know, I have my own take on it, and um, the more I, I look into this and the more I'm, I investigate and research, the more I'm going down that path. But we'll leave that for another day. So we'll talk to you later. continue with the next video. This one is called Inconsistencies and Persons of Interest. And once again, you can find all of these videos on Catherine's uh, YouTube channel. So make sure that you go to her YouTube channel and you can watch those and uh, check out the wall in the background and some of these great videos. And don't forget, she's always putting up new content. She has a new video coming out very soon. And I'm sure whenever you're listening to this, there will always be another new video right around the corner. So once again, thank you for listening to this bonus episode. We're going to continue. This is the second clip that we're going to play here, Inconsistencies and Persons of Interest. Hi, YouTube. It's Catherine Michelle. Um, I'm not going to be covering anything that... Um needs a warning, at least I don't believe I will be today. Today we're gonna, I'm going to be talking to you about some of the things, if you remember in the last video, I pointed to what's behind me, um, because uh, um, I think the world needs to know that how serious we are about this case and all of the things we have found wrong. Well, not all, this is just gonna be some, here's my list, this page, this page, this page, and then this one. We'll be going over each one of these for right now. Um, and again, this isn't everything. This is just a small portion um, of what 
I have picked up and what I've noticed in this case. First of all, it's going to be the body positions. All were moved, every single body. I know I said at first that I believed Camille had died in the position she was lying. Um, after going over the police reports and the autopsy report, I no longer believe that. Um, since her sweater is lying on top of David's leg, obviously he was probably placed there first. I mean, otherwise how could the sweater and then, yeah. Um, that's my thought right now. Um, the second one is the amount of dog feces in the basement. It shows that the dogs were, dog or dogs, plural, um, were locked down there for a period of time. There is there, the dog feces, the amount of dog feces downstairs compared to upstairs is night and day. Downstairs, it's everywhere. It's just a huge mess. Um, and then that leaves the food and the water for paleo. Um, the reports state that there was uh, fresh, I don't know how fresh it could be, but fresh water and food in a dog dish. Um, and we all know that the back door was open. Okay. Um, and the police found, figured that within two hours, this was a murder-suicide. Let me read from their report. Um, we will get it straight from the horse's mouth. Um, let's see, who, oh, they, it, it gives the police officer's name. It says, um, let me get this over here so I can read it. Um, and this is a quote from the news article in the Twin Cities Pioneer Press. Uh, what was the date? Let me see if I can get the date of this article. Uh, uh, published for the first time January 19th, 2016. Updated November 16th, 2017. And it states, what it all adds up to is this, uh, okay. Let me start over. What it all adds up to is this was a guy who snapped. Apple Valley Police Chief John Reitzkel. Okay, I don't know how to pronounce your name. Sorry, I'm sure I butchered it. To cross that line, to go to that level of violence, and this is domestic violence, make no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, you take the lives of your daughter and your wife, and besides that, you're writing things on the wall in blood. Nobody thinks to do that unless they're really of a deranged mind at that point. The Apple Valley Police recently closed the case, which included a year-long examination of the Dakota County Ele Electronic Crimes Task Force into 16 hard drives found in the home in the 1000 block of, the Ram of Ramsell Drive. Now, it's important to note that when they did the um, investigation, the electronics investigation, I believe that was Detective Klonikos, if I'm saying his name wrong, again, I probably am, sorry, he found zero motive. And in any of those hard drives. They're, right now they're writing, um, and uh, this reporter is only getting information. He's only writing what he's getting. And what he's getting is only partial information. But the hard drives contain zero motive. Um, a copy of the 94-page police file released to the Pioneer Press sheds light on the mindset of David Crowley before the police say the Ottawa, Ottawa, Owatonna, Minnesota Indian names. Minnesota native, native killed his wife and daughter. Um, despite the grisly scene, investigators concluded within two hours that David Crowley was the one who pulled the trigger of the 40 caliber Springfield handgun found next to his body. Two hours. They walked in. 
Now, in, in the way that um, this article is written, again, I'm not sure what information I have spoken with Nick Ferraro, and he seems to be a very uh, fair-minded individual. Um, I don't think he would slant an article on purpose. I do believe he's writing from what he obtained. However, um, I'm not sure he got the part where the gun itself is not found next to his body. Now, if you remember, David is sprawled out like this. And um, so he's lying like this on his, on his back. Um, my computer for some reason just wants to <laughs> not get everything in. So he's out like this. Now imagine his arms hanging out. The gun is located, they said, inches within his left hand. So it's spread out pretty far. It's not near his body. It's near his left hand, inches from. Now keep in mind, he's right-handed and his right hand is missing. But somehow he supposedly shot himself in the head and the gun ends up over by his left hand on the other side of the book. Doesn't happen that way, folks. Does not happen. But yet the police... We'll leave that alone. Um, the writing on the wall, um, the, the writing in the blood. And this to me is what, um, other than the position of the bodies, right when I saw how they were laying, I knew right away it was not a murder-suicide. This was a murder family, and this was completely staged. The writing on the wall for one of them. Um, as we'll go in later, I'll go into a little bit more detail about that later, discussing the writing on the wall. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff about that that people haven't thought about. Um, the open Quran passages and what they mean. Now, what is being told and what was given to the news reporters isn't true. I would have thought that the police department would have contacted someone of the Muslim faith to have that interpreted. Um, just a little tidbit of information on that. The chapter that it was open to, that chapter is, is actually titled The Spider. Um, and it's more when, um, and I will be uh, posting um, somewhere either, it will be on Facebook for one, and I'll try to get it posted on here too. But this entire chapter, it's not about a prayer of forgiveness for their sins, which is what they've been telling you. That's not it at all. <laughs> They're so far off the mark. And I've gotten that information straight from a Muslim person who is active in their faith and they read it to me from the Quran and they explained what it meant. Okay, so it's not at all what they're telling you it means. That's highly important because they tried to use that as one of their main reasons, like, oh, he killed himself and it's a prayer of forgiveness, also forgive me what I did. This is what they're telling you it means. That's not at all what it means. It's more talking about um, how the the non-believers are mocking the prophet and saying, you know, well, if you really have a God um, and if he's really there, have him come, you know, send him to us or have him take care of us. That's just a gist of what this means. And um, again, with the title of this particular chapter being called The Spider, and I know some people have said that they believe this could be um, a government hit. It very well could be mixed with maybe the government hired these yahoos to, to do this and they did a pretty lousy job. This is like one of the worst I've ever seen. Um, because if you know, the government's deep web is called the spider web. 
Now, isn't that kind of interesting? The government's deep web called the spider web and the book that's open to on a chapter that's called, it's titled The Spider. It was pretty eye-opening. We'll go more into that at a different time. Um, and the next one is the behavior of Dan Jr., Sean Wright, Mason Hendricks, and others after the deaths. Um, it was noted by several people how um, Dan Jr. was not acting correct. They, they were saying, and this is hearsay now. You have to understand, right? What I'm saying to you at this point is hearsay because I didn't see it, but I'm just um, re relaying to you what has been said on paper. And they were saying that it was acting really weird and he wasn't acting like a grieving brother and he was acting more like a guilty person. Now, again, you have to understand that's hearsay and that's alleged. That was their view of what they saw Dan doing. Because, again, we can't come out, I won't come out and say, I, they did it, they did it, they did it. Because, again, that is slander and that is defamation of character. But I will say who I think is a definite person of interest and the persons of interest for me right now, what I have been able to whittle down are um, Dan Jr., Sean Wright, Mason Hendricks, um, and possibly um, people who know about this could be, and again, this is just what I am thinking, it's not necessarily true, and I'm not pointing fingers, but by doing this process of elimination, um, I'm thinking other family members had to have known or knew about it after so they're not saying anything you know that is my take on it because i can't tell you how many times a family member will lose one fam um, uh, a child a sibling a parent and they know a child a sibling or a parent did that particular murder and they will cover it up because they've lost one family member they can't stand to lose two so it's not beyond the realm of possibility that um, a family, the other family members um, on one side or the other don't know, knew about it, and do know about it and are not saying anything. Okay, the other is the missing body parts. Most of, um, most of them uh, were never found. There were a few digit bones found, but that was it. And all three bodies are missing blood. Um, oh, here's where we're going to talk about the blood on the wall. All three are missing blood. Um, lividity was absent or not discerned in all three bodies. Now, lividity doesn't disappear. It stays within the tissues. So as they're slicing and they're, well, okay, I know that sounds gross, but as the autopsies are being done, the, the medical examiner should have been able to determine and see lividity at some point in that body. And they, every single one, not there. Now, Kamel's blood was used to write on the wall. And when you look at the scene and you look at their writing, read their writing and look at the scene, there was no dripping. There were no drip drops of blood from her body to on the couch to the wall. When you see how much blood is on that wall, if he was going from here to there, there would be drops, huge drops of blood. And it, um, so my, my, um, what I've been wondering, especially after doing Kamel's uh, um, autopsy report, actually before that, but um, I was wondering if they were bled, and that's what I said, and they, were they bled out? Did they collect her blood in a bucket or in something, and then after they place the bodies, they then take this blood? 
Because again, you have to remember, there is no drips. Her body's right there on the floor. If she had died there and had bled out there, where's there's no blood underneath her. There's no blood on the couch where she, her body is located. Nothing. <laughs> it's clean. So obviously, they had to have collected it. It's the only thing that they could have done is collected it. Then they take that and did they use David's severed hand to write on the wall? Now, some people say it doesn't look like a hand. Some people say it looks like it's made to look like a hand or a hand wrapped in, in um, a scarf or something, but it doesn't matter. They still took this, this blood, her blood, that they obviously took from her body and it was had to have been before she died because it's pretty hard to, to um, exsanguinate a body after death pretty difficult. You have to really know what you're doing. So um, think about this. Again, start using your brain. And these police officers did not do that. If they figured this case out within two hours, and I have that news article, um, they obviously didn't think about it. So, um, and then how did David get her blood? How did he do this? There are um, no obvious cut marks. There's no obvious areas where he could have drained it. If he had done that, it would be obvious. And um, there was a knife found at the scene, which was found right by his leg. The, the gun, which does not have his fingerprints on it when they did latent print test, no finger, his fingerprints are not on the gun, but yet his blood and the little girl's blood is on it. On the knife blade, which was by his leg, all three of their blood is on that knife blade, but yet no fingerprints. Hello, that means somebody's using a glove. And it wasn't David because why would he put on a glove, cut them all up or whatever, take a glove and shoot everybody and then take the glove off and his hand disappears. Again, there's no, there, were, there was no logic or investigation techniques used in this case at all, none. I'm calling you out Apple Valley Police Department. I'm calling you out right now. You, you did a completely lousy job in this case. You make me mad. The police say the bodies had been lying there for three weeks, yet the decomposition shows 10 days at most. Again, you determined it was three weeks that they were lying there. When the autopsy reports clearly show you are wrong, you're freaking wrong. Police say there was no signs of force entry, yet the back door is open. And if the murderer were friends and family, there wouldn't be forced entry. Now would there? They would have just walked in or been invited in or come in the back door and took them by surprise and there would be no forced entry. Did you think about that aspect? No. When there are several who actually have reason, um, a motive to do these crimes. But no, you couldn't think about that. No, 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 no. It, it was murder-suicide, right? Um, the articulating skull bones don't show scavenging. Explain that one. You say, and you're trying to convince us, a dog ate these people. The dog ate the skull. But yet we have parts of bone broken that fit together, fit with the back of the skull with no scavenging because they fit perfectly. And yet a dog did that. Really? No, they didn't. No, they did not. You need to explain why. You should have found out why. Why didn't you have an, um, and uh, a forensic anthropologist put this head back together. But it's too late now, right? They were cremated. It's too late. However, I'm gonna continue. Um, 
The autopsy doesn't show dissection of the intestines. Now, why is that important? Because if you want to determine time of death, we know that Kamel and Rania, Rania, however her name was said, pronounced, I mean, and I don't know, um, the digestive process follows like decomposition. It follows a timeline. They knew David's stomach was empty, but they didn't check to see if there was any food in his intestines to find out when his last meal was. They could have easily done that. Same thing with Kamal and the daughter. They found food in their stomachs, but that's as far as they went. So that tells me they don't want to know time of death. They did everything they could to avoid time of death because that time of death would have made null and void their accusations of murder-suicide. Packages were noticed, weren't noticed, excuse me, they were not noticed until January 10th. That was the first time anybody says they saw them sitting on the doorstep. Yet, <clears throat> Dan Jr. says he dropped them off on December 28th. Really, don't think so. The alleged footprints are mostly of the right foot and are only of the top of the so-called foot. There is no sole, no heel, no left foot. So if David did this, you mean to tell me he hopped around everywhere on the, just the sole of his right foot? Come on. Don't be so freaking stupid. And right now you're being stupid. Oh, apparent blood spatter in the sink in the master bathroom was not swabbed and it wasn't tested. The police, the police stated that they didn't think it was blood, so leave it alone. Now, I've seen a lot of blood spatter. That looks like blood to me. They didn't test it. Now, they didn't test it. Now we'll never know. The next one. Chris Klein said he was with Dan, Dan Sr. when he noticed when he noticed the bullet hole in the ceiling a month after the police, the medical examiner, the lab testers, other family members, everybody's in this house and nobody noticed the bullet hole in the ceiling until Chris Klein, a month later, goes into the house when he had no business being there. He said he was with Dan Sr., David's father, and all of a sudden he finds this bullet hole. He calls the police. The police come in, go up in the attic, and they find a bullet hole, a bullet. Really? Wow. Okay. Either you guys are the stupidest thing on the planet, you're all freaking blind. I don't think that's it. Mm -mm. I think that who else could have done it? Uh, Chris Klein, you're looking pretty guilty at the moment. How did that bullet hole get there? And why did you lie about being with Dan Sr.? Dan Sr. says he was not with you that day. He wasn't there, but yet that was your testimony to the police or your statement to the police. It was a lie. Either you're lying Dan Sr.'s line. Either way, it doesn't look good for either one of you. Okay, and then we have the little girl's fractured rib. Was it fractured before or after death? The autopsy wasn't done enough to state. At least they sure didn't put that in the report, not the one that we saw, and they could have easily done so. They state and show a fractured rib. Who did it? How was it done? The dog did not fracture her rib. So if the dog didn't do it, that only leaves the murderer. There you go. Obviously, David didn't do it. No motive was found for David, yet there are motives when you look at, again, 
This is my speculation. I am not accusing. I am speculating. This is alleged. The motives for our show motives for Mason Hendricks, Dan Jr., Sean Wright, and they all, it all had to do with money and jealousy. Lots of money was involved. They all stood to lose money. Again, not saying, so don't tell me I'm accusing you. I am saying that it is alleged, and I can do that because I do it on the news. So if they can say alleged, I can say alleged. The first person to suggest murder-suicide was Judy Prochnow when she made her 911 call. She was the one who states, oh, I think he killed them and then killed himself. What does she know? She was a neighbor who inserts herself later on down the line, who admits at the beginning that she hardly ever knew them, didn't really talk to them a whole lot. But now she goes and she says, oh, um, uh, I think I see mannequins, but wait, they're bodies. And I think he killed them and then killed himself. Really? And police officers, you... Was there a script? Did you guys get a script? Ahead of... You make me sick. <clears throat> Next one. The bodies were found on one January 17th, 2015, around 1 p.m. The medical examiner, Dr. Lelinsky, did not show up until 12 o'clock in the morning on the 18th. That is 11 hours later. 11 hours. And she stayed for 45 minutes. And she left. Now, you cannot convince me she walked in and even did work for 45 minutes. They sat around and probably talked. How do I know this? I was an EMT. I know what people do at scenes. 45 minutes is not enough to investigate anything. She probably went and looked and said, oh yeah, bullet hole. Yeah, bullet hole. Yeah, could be a bullet hole. Hey, let's just get this wrapped up. That's what it appears to me to be. You can't do. Dr. Lelinsky could not have done a proper investigation of three bodies within 45 minutes. No, nope, 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 doesn't happen. Murder-suicide was the official cause of deaths within two hours of testing. I think I already read that to you where he said within two hours. That was the, the police chief. No testing was done of the handwriting to compare David's to the writing on the wall and the writing on the tablet. Now, um, I'm going to be showing you guys um, in another video, David's handwriting. And when you see his handwriting and then you look at the handwriting on the wall, it doesn't match. It's like looking at a kindergartner's handwriting compared to someone who does perfect calligraphy. The difference is that varied, but yet they didn't test it. Why? Probably because it would prove their theory wrong. <clears throat> no gunshot residue was found on any of the victims. That right there tells you it wasn't David. If David had shot them, he would have GSR all over his clothes. They would have GSR all over their bodies, their clothes, their hair, and even the little girl who wasn't eaten. And that should tell you something too. You have two adults whose skulls are really hard, who were mangled skulls. And you want us to believe the dog did it. And yet you have a little girl and I don't mean to be gross here, but her skull is soft. It would have been easier and it was exposed just as much, yet her face isn't touched. That 
tells you volumes, volumes of whoever did this. They were angry at Kamel. They were angry at David. But I think the little girl either came in to something or she had to die because she knew the person who did, who did this. Person or persons who did this. And right now, um, my, my, per, uh, my list of persons of interest are at least three. And I, my persons of interest who I allege covering my tracks because I'm not saying they did it. Everything I'm doing right now is pointing to Dan Jr., Mason Hendricks, and Sean Wright. Could be others, could be neither of them, could not be any of them. But again, that's where it's pointing to. Um, the footprints weren't tested. I mean, they took them, they, they did their little powdery thing on them, but they weren't tested. They don't know whose footprint that was. Uh, again, no fingerprints were found on the gun or the knife. Missing limbs um, and a knife at the scene, yet this was never investigated. Why? Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't fit your theory, does it? Yeah, I'm pretty pissed. And the vulgar intimidation tactics by Sean Wright? Listen, dude, your mouth is filthy. And your so-called um, fiance? I don't see how she could put up with you. And now this is personal. This is between you and me, Sean. You're disgusting. You're vulgar. And I don't... You need to wash your mouth out with the bar of soap. You think you can intimidate people by calling them an effer? and calling me the C word and a B word and an MFing B word? Really? You don't know me, but I know you. I know you by how you speak. And you, my dear man, have you stuck your foot in it big time. You, oh, it's all over. Your footprint is everywhere in this. And it's because of what you have said and what you are doing. There, yeah, you are a person of interest to me. I've said it. No help from family or friends. Not one bit. Everybody has um, accepted this, this so-called theory, hook, line, and sinker. Why? Sidra, um, now this is her sister, and I know she's devastated by the death of her sister. However, she admits to lying about her... Um, her conversation or why she had the police go there. Let me let me find that for you and read it to you. Um, this is what during a uh, discussion with uh, a Joe Sigur, S-I-G-U-R, I don't know. And and he's a jerk. Oh my gosh, he his questions are leading and totally inappropriate. And how she put up with most of these questions, I don't know, because if I was her, I would have told him, I would have hung up on him or just told him to, to go away. But um, he keeps trying to ask leading questions about were they into drugs? Was it speed? Um, uh, did drugs tip the scale for a crazy murder? This guy's just way all over the place. And then she's writing back. Now, how these, this, these texts go where she answers questions and, and it doesn't always flow correctly because he's asking lots of questions and it's like she's asking some, um, you know, like previous one. But anyway, her answer to one of these is, so naturally I felt that something was off. So that's why I called the cops to come check out the car. It had nothing to do. It, 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 was, it was a fabricated story. Um, and when the police got there and arrived, they left because they could find nothing. They found nothing to, to back up what was being said. 
Allison lied about David and Kamel pulling away from the family. In an email between Allison and Kamel, Allison is telling Kamel that she sent David a scathing, nasty email cussing David out. And they both need to get in touch with their mom, blah, blah, blah. And Kamel writes back and she was very polite. That woman must have been a saint because I would have ripped this Allison's head off. Um, Kamel writes back and says, you know what? You're wrong. We've contacted mom. Mom has our phone numbers. We've been in touch. So this whole theory about them pulling away and angry at the family is all an utter lie. Shame on you, Allison, for, for putting this out there that this is what it was. Shame on you. When you know, you know full well that wasn't it. Shame on you, police, for going out there and pushing that agenda that they had pulled out away and that they were crazy and, and David had somehow mind controlled her. None of that is proven by anything you have given as evidence. Everything you have provided in your reports and in the testing and in people's um, uh, conversations about this family prove that that theory is wrong. You know, yes, they were mad because David and Kamel were on their own and they decided they weren't going to be, you know, led around by the nose by their families anymore. You know, David was upset with his family and rightly so. He has a sister who's cussing him out all the time, trying to tell him what to do, being manipulative. You have a brother who is, who has treated him like trash from a young age. And you have Kamel's sister who is trying to jump in the middle of things. Now, reading what she wrote, um, I don't think she honestly sees where she was, was way out of line, but I think what she did was out of love for her sister. This is my take, but um, she did it wrong. And her sister said, hey, back off. Now, if my, one of my family members had called the police, they showed up at my door and then they, we have this little talk and they're like, and the police go, hey, there's no reason to be here. Everything's fine. The cops leave. And then you come to my house. You think I'm going to let you in my door? And then you want, you go around and you tell everybody that they wouldn't let you in and, and you're glad you didn't go in because who knows what would have happened to you. Are you kidding me, Sidra? Are you kidding me? You called the cops on your family and then you wonder why they won't let you in. I wouldn't have let you in either. And your sister left a picture on the dash and it's supposed to be, ooh, so, you know, telling of, of how she was manipulated. What she was saying to you is she was hurt by your actions, that she loved you because you were her sister and don't hurt her family. It was her family. You say that she wasn't acting like how you were raised. She was doing exactly how you were raised. You were raised with family first, with love and honor. That's what she was doing with her husband, her husband first, her family first, with love and honor. And you did not respect that. And instead, you want to slander it and you want to twist it to make it like David was some kind of monster. They were building their own home and neither family side was happy with that. Shame on all of you, all of you. Oh, Dan Jr. says he saw paleo in the window, but no bodies, but he didn't see any bodies. Now, if you've seen that crime scene photo, you know that's not possible. 
where he would have had to stand or where he could have gone to even see the dog or where the dog could have been so he could see it, you would see the bodies. Besides that, they weren't even there. <laughs> and January 28th, which he says the day he dropped them off, which is a flat out lie, because no, not one neighbor, not one noticed them until January 10th where those packages dropped off. Why are you lying, David? I'm Dan, I'm sorry, David, I'm so sorry. Why are you lying, Dan? Why? I'd like to hear that. Um, and the police say he snapped. Let me read you something from, um, I believe it's from Mason Hendricks. Hold on a second. Let me, I, I gotta find this because it's highly important. Where is that? Oh, geez, I hope I didn't close it out. Oh, no, I think I did. Shoot. It's just I don't have enough time now to, to find that. Um, oh, wait. Maybe it's right here in this article. Oh. Oh, and talk about the GoFundMe page. Um, where Dan set that up asking for $6 million when Sidra herself says that was uncalled for and she told him to take that down and that he was trying to make it sound like, oh, the families were so close. And Sidra says they hardly ever talked. They didn't even really know that family. That's a huge red flag to me. Should have been to the police too. Um, uh, the part where... Um, Anyway, I, I believe it was, I, I wrote down the name, um, Hendricks, Mason Hendricks. Uh, it says it's, a, I have it in a news article. Which news article is that? Hold on, it, it's really, really important. Um, because he said that David was not the kind of person to snap. It wasn't who he was. He knew him and um, that would be something he would never, ever do. Um, again, I, it's just, I have stuff, there's, there's just so much, so much, it's not even funny. Um, oh my goodness, I, I, I did have it, I'm sorry. I will have to find that the next time and I will read exactly what Mason Hendricks said um, because he's, he's flat out says that that's not who David was. He's not the kind of person who would snap. He's not, he's, he loved his wife and his child. So the police's little quick, um, their little quick fix within two hours, they figured all this out. Um, it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit your, your, um, your plan. You say that he snapped and, and chief rights or whatever your name is. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm upset with the Apple Valley Police Department. You know why? Because they're all zipped their lips. Not one of them have been, a, have called back and said anything. <laughs> they all keep their mouth shut. They had, they tied it up in a bow. They have zero evidence to back up their theory. Zero evidence, none whatsoever. They have evidence to prove and point at several other different directions. Not one of them point back to David. And they refuse to even answer that. Now here's something that I'm going to end with. Keep in mind, people, I have given you two full pages 
and this is only the beginning. I stopped because my hand couldn't take writing anymore. Here's what David told one of his friends in November of 2014. He said, if I end up dead, I am not suicidal. Yet his friends and family and the police, that's all they've ever said was he was suicidal. And he made it a point to state, if I end up dead, I'm not suicidal. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Ross from Planet X Filmworks channel on YouTube and the Zodiac Files True Crime series. Check it out and shout out to Greg and the Gray Stage channel. Their content is amazing. enjoyed both of the videos both of the video audio that we played so far we have played dr kelly interview we played the inconsistencies and persons of interest and next we're going to go through the bca report number seven and this is regarding the latent prints so Catherine is going to give us a little bit about the latent prints you can always find all these documents on my website if you go to thegraystage.wordpress.com, right on the main homepage, just scroll down until you see BCA Analysis. It's a 40-page PDF, and you can check out all the stuff that Catherine is about to mention here. So God bless you all. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back right after this. Hi, YouTube. It's Catherine Michelle. Today we're going to go over the um, BCA lab report on the latent prints. Um, as you can see, this is the one that was taken from the notepad. And they um, went ahead and, I guess, took samples or copied pages from every single um, page left in the notebook. Um, they don't state how many pages were originally in there. You know how most notebooks will say 80 pages or so don't know um, not sure where the writing occurred within the the notepad again and, and where did it fall however um, we're going to go over the the lab's re results of these latent prints and i'm also going to be referencing um, laboratory number s15-00662 report number two page seven of eleven if you would like to go look that one up and that is also, I believe, the BCA report. Yes, that would also be from the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. <clears throat> okay, so this one is a little confusing for me because I don't have a lot of experience or much information or whatever relating to latent prints. So this took some going over again and again for me, rereading, going back and forth, and cross-referencing what they were talking about. And I'm not going to say with 100% certainty, I still understand it all. Um, but we will start with, um, we're going to go with, start with here, and then we'll go back and reference where they're picking up at the beginning. It says, an examination of items 1A and 1B reveal three latent prints that are suitable for comparison. Now, 1A and 1B, when you look at the report, 
that will be the pistol and then the magazine. And right now that's what they're talking about. And they're saying that they have uh, samples that are suitable for comparison. The latent prints were recovered from the following items, 1A, one latent palm print um, designated as LP1A-1, item 1B, one latent fingerprint designated as LP1B-2. And then it says item 54. And when you look at item 54 in their report, it simply states that it's item 54 is a CD disc that contains multiple images. Now they do, do not state which image they're referencing in here. They just simply say one latent palm print designated as LP54-1. So I'm going to assume that off that disc, um, item number 54, they found one that they found was suitable, but the, again, they're not telling us which image or anything like that. The next is a, a limited examination of latent prints um, in apparent blood from items 41, 41A, and 41A-1 through 41A-59, all originally submitted as item 41, revealed two latent prints that are suitable for comparison. Specifically, the latent prints recovered from the following items. Item 41A-30, one latent impression, could be from a finger or palm designated as LP41A30-1 and item 41A-31, one latent fingerprint designated as LP41A31-1. And I will show you from their report that that is referencing the pages from two um, single pages from the report. There we go. <clears throat> now it says LP1B-2 and LP54-1 and that would be, let me get that for you, B-2 and 54-1. That's a palm print and a fingerprint. The fingerprint is from the magazine and the palm print, um, I'm not sure if they really state where those prints come. Again, it just says a disc containing 25 NEF images. That's all we know, or that's all I've found so far. Now, um, those two prints were searched in the Midwest Automated Fingerprint Identification Network database and no suitable candidate was generated. So um, I found that interesting. They have two prints that they can't associate with anybody in the house. And they seem not they the lab. Now the lab from what I can tell in every report I've, I've been reading from the lab themselves is they have been pretty thorough. When I refer to they, I mean it seems as though to me the police have not and did not follow up on a lot of this information. To me this should have been like you know a huge red flag. You've got prints that don't show up in a database and um, and they have the, the fingerprints available from the victims inside. So obviously they don't match them and then they're not in a database. You know, you figure it out <laughs> and I think you can. Um, and then we go on to latent prints. LP1B-2, which is um, 
Again, that's from the, the fingerprint from the magazine. Now mind you, right above that, it states that they were searched in their network and nothing was found. And up above, it says that they have, um, all, everything states that these prints that they're talking about in this report are suitable for comparison and that they revealed three latent prints suitable for comparison. Now we jump back down further under latent reports and it says LP1B-2 inconclusive to Crowley due to limited quality and quantity of information in the latent print. Now if they have limited information, how does that make it suitable for comparison? And this is where I, I got really confused because they did this with LP 41A30, I'm sorry, dash one. So let's do that again. LP 41A30 dash one. Inconclusive to Crowley due to the limited quality and quantity of the information in the latent known print. And that one is the latent print from the page in the notebook. Now, when I'm reading, this is where I'm going to reference the other um, report, report number two. This is the magazine from item one also with apparent blood on it, included apparent ridge detail. So they can see ridge detail. Um, it was observed to be, the magazine was observed to be in the pistol and loaded with less than four cartridges. A cartridge was also observed in the chamber. So, in their report, the, the fingerprint, fingerprint in blood on the magazine they could see ridge detail. On here, at the beginning, it says that that item uh, revealed latent prints that were suitable for comparison, but then when they go down to compare them to David, now it says inconclusive to Crowley due to limited quality and quantity of information. They have two areas where they say the quality and quantity is, is there, and now they're saying it's not there. Um, the one known print that was identified to David was LP41A31-1, identified to the left middle finger of Crowley. And that one was a fingerprint from the page in the notebook. Again, same thing, different page. You had page 30 and page 31. This was from page 31. Um, and then, then it says, no known palm prints for David Timothy Crowley were submitted or found in the BCA files for comparison to LP1A-1 and LP54-1. Okay, and what do I find interesting about that? Well, if they could identify the left middle finger of David Crowley, we know his right hand is missing. We know his left hand was mummified. Now, um, uh, rehydrating, a dehydrate, uh, uh, rehydrating a mummified hand, <laughs> tongue tied here today. Um, it is um, done with relative, um, with, with a lot of success. We'll put it that way. They can do it with a lot of success. When you have a mummified hand, they can rehydrate it and then get those prints, either fingerprints or palm prints, whatever is left. And so they must have done that for the finger um, or, well, and then they, I think they did have a fingerprint card too. I, maybe that's what they had. Yes. Okay. They did have that. So maybe they just used the fingerprint card and it's, which is item number 49. And that says known fingerprint card from David Timothy Crowley. Now, um, but they say they have no known palm prints. So 
if they needed palm prints and the Emmy and had the body, why didn't they rehydrate the hand and then get that print for the lab? I mean, they might, obviously they couldn't do the right hand, but why not the left, you know? And that's something that I, I've, I still can't find an answer to. That just doesn't make much sense. Again, a lot of stuff in this case doesn't make sense. So on, on this one, that's, wait, there was something else I wanted to point out. Okay, so report number two states they have ridge detail and um, it was observed, the pistol, the magazine had observed detail in blood, ridge detail in blood. Um, they, which was in the magazine, they took that out. Here it states that the items were um, suitable for comparison. And then they say down below, oops, we can't compare them because the quality is not good. And then we go back to lab report number four, and that was the one where we did with the, the blood. And, and that was the smoking gun video I did where I told, oh, showed you that according to those reports that the bullet that killed David was never recovered. And they certainly didn't test it and it wasn't found. So on that report as well, go back and review this one. This is going to be um, page four of five. And we're going over the blood from the notepad. And on that, and I'm gonna revisit this one more time because this is, it says mixture of two or more individuals. This is from item one, item 41-2 and 41-2, again, notepad with handwriting in the, on the desk with the parent blood. So that's referring to the same, the same notepad right here. And it states, mixture of two or more individuals, that's what the blood was. The major DNA profile indicated as female matches Kamel. Major profile does not match David Timothy or um, Rania. Major profile would not be expected to occur more than once among unrelated individuals in the world. Okay, so they have some major profiles. We know that they have Kamal, and then they go on to state that the other major profiles, you wouldn't expect that to occur more than once in an unrelated person in the world population. So that kind of narrows down the field. And I'm not saying who this other individual, relate, related individual was to Kamel, but according to this report, I'm reading as, it's, as it states. However, who they do rule out is David and Rania are excluded from being contributors to the mixture. So you have a mixture. Two more um, individuals. It definitely matches Kamel. And they rule out the vast majority of the population. And then they said, oh, um, in other words, it's more than likely someone who is related to her. Um, and it says major profile would not be expected to occur more than once among unrelated individuals in the world population. This is why there are so many questions in this case. Um, you know, we have, we have that, the blood on the notepad that we're discussing, where they state in um, two separate reports where they have the actual uh, ridge detail, which are good, and um, they can compare them. And then later on, when they're trying to compare them and they can't compare, they can't match it to David. So then they put it as inconclusive due to limited quality and quantity of information in the latent print. What is it? 
is it suitable or is it not suitable? So if the, if the end result is not matching David and that's not what, and this is, I'm interjecting here. This is not, you know, God's word. You know, I'm interjecting. My thought process is if they have the, the print, they have ridge detail, it's suitable and it's inconclusive to David and you have David's print card, then it can't be David's because you have his print card, you have information, it doesn't match. Why say inconclusive due to lack of quantity and quality? When you've previously clearly stated the quantity and quality were good. It's gotta be one or the other. Now, and, and then the other two, the LP1B2 dash, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. LP1B-2 and LP54-1, when they searched their database and no suitable candidate was found, and you have David Crowley's fingerprint card, and obviously his aren't matching that either, why did not the police get these reports and say, okay, we have blood from people who aren't in that house? We have fingerprints and latent prints from people who are not in that house. We better do a little bit more digging. But instead, they they just said David did it. Again, more questions than answers. in the paranormal, murder mysteries, cryptocurrency, and thought-provoking interviews. Then check out Crypt Rick's I've Been Thinking on YouTube or every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Studio A at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Welcome to the Crypt. Obviously, some things in these documents that are easy to understand that may be hard for you to understand. So the latent prints was definitely something I had to kind of grasp. Um, it took me a little bit longer. So listening to Catherine, watching Catherine's videos on this stuff has really helped me. And you know, I'd like to see other more people make videos on this topic on these documents here too. And I don't want people to feel like just because we've covered it, they can't cover it, they can't make their own videos. Please do. The more thoughts, the more people that we have doing this, the better. So we have tons of people out there right now um, who are looking into this case and really want to understand what really happened with David Crowley. So for me, watching these videos and listening to these going back has really helped me and will keep these things uh, on my short list. <laughs> of what we need to cover, what we need to continually keep thinking about. So I hope that this has helped you. We're going to go to the next one. This is a little strange one, some odd things that Catherine has found, and this is 
um, appropriately titled Oddities in the Crowley Case. So we're going to listen to what Catherine says about that. And again, if you want to see the video version of this, you can always find this on her YouTube channel, Catherine, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, one E in her last name. Put that in and it will pop right up if you search under, under channels, you can find her. And of course, I have made this whole video that you're listening to. There is a video version of all five of these um, shows that Catherine did on my channel, The Gray Stage. If you look that up on YouTube, you will find that as well. So let's get right into this and look at some of the oddities in the Crowley case that Catherine found pretty early on, too, before we got some of these documents, some of the more recent documents. So that's what's great, too, is to listen and watch this stuff and see how, if things have kind of grown, right, and if things have changed, if views have changed based on the facts, based on new documents that we may have gotten that we didn't have then. So let's take a look, take a listen to The Oddities in the Crowley Case by Catherine. Here we go. Hi, YouTube. It's Catherine Michelle. Today we're going to go over some of the oddities I have noticed and found in the case. Yesterday I was talking with someone from a Facebook group page and they were asking me a question about a blood spot they had noticed on David's arm. And they couldn't quite tell if it was, um, if, if the section of his arm was actually a shirt or was it um, the, the skin. So I told them, I said, you know, I never really looked at his clothes, which turns out to have been a mistake. Yeah. Um, yes, I make mistakes. <laughs> ah. So anyway, oh no, I'm human. Help me, help me. Um, so when reading over his clothes, I see that he is wearing um, uh, one black sleeveless t-shirt. That's what's closest to his body. Then he has one long um, white long uh, white long sleeve shirt, and then over that he is wearing a gray short sleeve t-shirt. So he's wearing three shirts. And then he has boxers and pants. But I find it really odd that he's wearing three shirts. Most people don't go around wearing two t-shirts and a long sleeve t-shirt or a long sleeve shirt in between. Doesn't make sense to me. Quite odd. Maybe it has a good explanation, but when it goes with everything else that's in this case, it's pretty odd. Kamel is wearing a light brown oh, or a brown button front sweater with a collar and then a black short sleeve shirt and sweatpants, no underwear. Again, not completely odd. For her, that's, that's not odd for women to do that. Now we look at the clothes that Rania was wearing and she is wearing, oh, here it is. Um, she is wearing a sleeveless shirt and then gray sweatpants, no underwear. Now that's odd. Uh, I spoke with a couple of people who have um, medical experience as well and because my experience in the 10 years working in an ER I never once ran across a five-year-old child that wasn't wearing underwear adult males and females yes it was pretty common but for children I never saw that before so I asked a couple of other medical people and I asked them I said you know in your experience and in your jobs do you ever notice that and they said no they said that would be odd and, and unusual for a child not to be wearing underwear for various reasons and we don't need to start listing them however you know I think most of you are smart enough to figure that out 
Um, and again, that was that was odd that Rania wasn't wearing any underwear, and neither was Kamel. Um, then the next thing is uh, the handwriting. The only tests that were done for handwriting, it wasn't to compare any of the handwriting samples. This is a lab report that was taken from a tablet that had the words submit to Alla slash Alan, depending on who you talk to, now. And the only, all of these, each one of these lines is a separate page from that notebook. And the only thing that they tested and found was when they found some impressions on another page. It looks like part of a script that was being written. And that's all they looked for. There were no comparative handwriting analysis done. They had samples of at least four different people in that house uh, and written on other various um, surfaces, but they didn't, you know, they didn't test anything. They have um, Dan's own handwriting in his notes. They have Kamel's handwriting. Um, and on, on the refrigerator, she writes this really cute little note to David. And underneath it, um, David, you know, writes back. And then underneath that, and at the end, you will see these photos. I'll put them at the end after I'm done. Um, you see someone else. It's not David and it's not Kamel. Someone else writes E which that refers to David because that's how he was signing his note because he was going, ee, you know, in response to her note. And then he writes me. So they put E, go suck two, and then they sign it egg. So I, I think to me that was um, a slam. I don't know who wrote that. And they really should have checked that out because on one of the um, family photos, they have like a collage of photos. And in there is um, a picture of Kamel and David took a sticky note and uh, in the shape of like a fried egg. And he writes on there, you've got egg on your face and then puts it on, on her picture. Now you can clearly tell that's his handwriting and it matches what was written on the refrigerator note. However, that to me, along with the E, you go suck to signed egg. Um, to me, that's a slam. That's somebody writing something could be wrong, but I, it's not, again, it's not, when you look at it, you will see it does not look like David's handwriting, doesn't look like Kamel's handwriting. So who wrote that and when was it written? Um, let's see. And then they didn't compare either the handwriting on the wall that says Allahu Akbar and then the supposed submit to Allah slash Alan now. They didn't compare any of those writings to David's handwriting. And when I'll show you a sample of David's handwriting, I'll show you again, David's, Kamel's, um, Dan Jr.'s, the writing on the wall, and then the writing on the notepad, and, and then the, the um, pad on the refrigerator. And why am I including Dan Jr.? Because he wrote um, on, they took a picture of a tag that he wrote for Rania that's, you know, on a Christmas present. And if they felt it was important enough to take a picture of, um, you'll see why it's important enough to compare that writing with some of the other writing on the notes. Uh, it's again, odd and interesting. The affidavit that was put out by, um, sorry, I don't mean to keep saying um so often, I'm tired. 
by uh, Brian Bone and the pink highlighted section here. And you'll see my notes too. It says, um, uh, for, and, okay, why they're asking for the affidavit. It says the facts tending to establish the foregoing grounds for issuance of a search warrant are as follows. And then they include in their list of um, grounds would be there did not appear to be any forced entry into the house or any other signs to indicate there were there was another party involved in the causing of the deaths of this family. And um, to me, that is not true because the back door was open. They stayed in their reports, the back door is open. So how, so in the fact that maybe there wasn't forced entry, that part's true, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't any evidence of another party involved. You have a door that was open, which anybody, friends, family, somebody they knew could have come over and could have done this. Um, and that wouldn't be forced entry. So the way they write this, they write this presumptively stating on, um, yeah, this was in February um, at 2.13 in the afternoon. Um, th they are stating that they're requesting these records, these financial records, because they're saying that they didn't have proof of forced entry. Anybody else could have killed these people when in fact they absolutely did. And how can I say that? Oh, dare me. Oh my goodness. Shame on me for saying that. But I am. <laughs> and how do I say that? Again, we're going to we're going to revisit David's missing bullet. There was there were a total of seven bullets, fragments slash casing, so slash a slash, one or the other found in that residence. One was an ejected one, not used in anything. It was just ejected from the gun. Um, out of the seven, here we go. One was ejected. Um, we have three that had Kamel's blood. We have one that had Rania's blood. We have one that had no problem profile whatsoever found in a wall and then we had one that had um, David's uh, just his DNA profile on it you know like touch DNA and again to reiterate that they were his bullets that was um, you know stuff he would have touched so that's a you have to assume and it's apparent that by him touching these bullets of course his his DNA at that point would be on it but there is no blood it's not the bullet that went through his head. It's not the bullet that killed him. So out of seven bullets, casings, fragments, take your pick of which one you want to look at, not one of those was the bullet that killed David. Not one. And I know some people have tried to throw out there about the dog, eating it, hiding it. Okay, people, seriously, stop and think about your comments before you make them, you know. When you have a thought, and I'm speaking to myself here too because sometimes I tend to just spew things out, but stop for a second, take that step further. Would, a, would the dog truly only be able to find the fragment of the bullet that killed David, the casing that went to the, the bullet that killed David? Or I'm assuming the casing. Okay, just for the sake of argument, we're still missing a casing, we're still missing a fragment. Would the dog only find that and hide those when everything else is lying out and open except for one that was un actually underneath Camille and not touch those. No, no.
No, 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 it wouldn't. So, you know, don't go down that path. Let's not go to the realm of, of absurdity. You know, we're, the bullet that killed David is not there. So there's the smoking gun. There's the odd thing that these police who had it all wrapped up within two hours can't seem to put this together and failed to put it out there to the public that David's missing bullet is gone. The bullet that killed him is not in the house. I find that extremely odd. The other thing that is odd are these footprints. Um, they were, <laughs> there are only a few of them there and they're only in a very limited spot area, I should say. There are no bloody footprints leading up to where they are. There are no bloody footprints going away from where they are. Just all of a sudden in the middle of the floor, bam, you've got a bloody footprint. Okay, what do they do? Walk over there, lift up their foot, put some blood on it, stick their foot down, only the ball of their foot, and then hop over to the next spot, put some blood on it, put their foot down. I mean, do you see how ridiculous this is? <laughs> and they don't find that odd at all. They didn't think um, how these were, were placed was, was odd. I find it very odd. I find it absolutely ridiculous and, and kind of crazy. Um, so at the end of this, I will put some um, pictures up uh, yeah, there's, <laughs> I don't know how to actually do a video yet that will include the photos and then I can speak over them. I don't have time to figure all that out. And so I'm only using the camera on my laptop right now to do these. And, um, so I know most of you have been really gracious and, and have been very kind <laughs> with my videos. Um, others seem to think that, um, if I'm not posting what I'm, what I'm quoting from, then I'm lying, which is actually kind of hilarious. It's actually been downright funny. However, all of this stuff can be found, um, on either the ugly truth or at Greg Fernandez Jr.'s website. Um, I believe he has a Facebook page. Hmm. You can find Greg Fernandez Jr. and Dan, Dan Hennen on YouTube. I suggest you find their channels, find their pages, and then you can locate these documents. Um, again, I tend to forget whose page is whose. There's just so much information running around in my head and, and I don't want to mess all of that up. However, I do know a lot of the photos can be found on The Ugly Truth and I will definitely have that link down there. And um, also I will have a link to Greg Fernandez Jr.'s um, page as well, because I think that would be helpful. And again, for anybody who has any questions, it would be great for, for you to, to access those and read over everything. I mean, there's so much information there. It will take you a while to get through it all. So uh, thank you. Hope you guys have a great night. And again, stay tuned because the photos will be attached. Hi, um, just wanted to add this in here. I wanted to let you know which photos are going to be put in at the end. The first photo is of the Crowley family. It's a family portrait and it's absolutely beautiful. I just want you all to see this beautiful family that was horribly, horribly murdered. The next two pictures will be uh, uh, the notepad on the refrigerator. And please take note, you'll see where you see the note from Kamel, the note for, uh, response from David, and then underneath that, you will see there are three separate handwritings here. And that certainly looks like three separate handwritings to me. 
And then after that, you will see the picture of Camille where David has the sticky note talking about egg on her face. And then in, on the next photo is a yellow square sticky note. You'll see a sample of David's handwriting there. Now the next one after that, please pay close attention and look very closely at David's A's. David makes his A's in a very unique way and they are consistent in everything I have seen of him write when he writes, uh, uses capital letters, which isn't very often. The next one, next photo will be the a sample is a picture of the letter A that was written in blood. You will see it is not the same as David's handwriting. They're not the same. And every A in the Alahu Akbar is written exactly the same way as that A in blood. And it does not match David's, David's handwriting and how he writes A's. The next one after that is a, um, a photo of the note that Danny wrote on Renai's Christmas present. The next two photos after that are of the bloody footprints. And you'll see what I'm talking about where there's just like three spots in there, boom, nowhere else to be found. The one after that, and if there, let me go back because if there are more footprints, I didn't see photos of them. So that's that. Those are the only photos I've seen with blood footprints. The next one after that is a picture of the sink where it looks like blood spatter all over in the sink. And we are going to end it with a photo of Dan Jr. in his little ninja gear that he had posted on Facebook but took it down. Okay. I just thought that was interesting and odd. Welcome back. I hope you have enjoyed the four videos that you've been listening to, the audio version of those videos up on Catherine's YouTube channel. We're going to get into the last one here. This will be the final one. And sometimes we're looking for something pink, something yellow, but this is something blue. There's something about this blue blanket that sticks out to Catherine. This is one of the shorter videos. It's only about 11 minutes. So this is the audio, audio version of that video. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope it helps you in your research with the David Crowley case. That is the whole point here. So take a listen. This one is called The Blue Blanket. Hi, YouTube. It's Catherine Michelle. Um, sorry it's been a while. been trying to do a lot of research on a couple different projects. Um, I was looking into the ballistics, but that is taking a whole lot longer than I anticipated. And not just the one. Um, I already did the video about the bullet um, that killed David. 
isn't there. It's it's not there. There's no bullet with his blood on it. It's not that ballistics report. It's 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 a review of something else that's relating to the bullets and the casings. But that's taking me a little bit longer than I had anticipated. And then so um, I decided to um, bring up some other, just one more oddity. I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the first one. Uh, however, it's one that's been bothering me for a long time <clears throat> because as you know, the official story is David quote-unquote snapped and, you know, did all this stuff. Um, however, there's a lot of information that they've left out, as you know, because we've been through a lot of it already. <clears throat> and on the page, um, the Facebook page, the Justice for David Crowley and Family, it's really funny because Christy had posted something that I was working on. So we're all starting to come to these same realizations almost at the same time. And um, and since most of them in, have been in the group longer than I have, for me, this is new. She might have known this a long time ago, but for me, this was new. And I wanted to read this to you. This is coming from, um, hold on, let me. Okay, there was a glitch in the system. <laughs> Obviously it was operator error. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, where what I was getting to was the part that we're gonna. What I'm going to read to is going to come from um, this section of report number two from BCA. Let me put it up there so you can actually take a moment. You can stop it and read it. Um, this and and I'll read it word for word. Um, warning here, uh, this will have some descriptive uh, wording in it, so if you're under 18 or you don't want to hear graphic details, turn it off. Just turn it off. Okay, it says, David Timothy Crowley was lying on his back with his arms spread to the sides. His right hand was missing and only the back portion of his skull remained attached to his spine. He was wearing a white long sleeve t-shirt with a gray short sleeve t-shirt over it and a navy blue undershirt, which we found out in the um, autopsy isn't an undershirt, but it's just another t-shirt. Um, a navy blue uh, undershirt, and then exposed light blue underwear, navy blue athletic pants, and rope slash bracelets on his left wrist. Please pay attention to this part. This is very important. His bare left foot was covered by a blue blanket and his right bare foot was partially exposed. A rip was observed on the left thigh of his pants and a portion of Kamel Razul Crowley's sweater was draped over his lower, lower right leg. His right sleeve was pushed up and a tattoo was visible on his right forearm. Okay, now let's continue. Kamel Razul Crowley was lying on her stomach with her legs spread out to the sides. Her left arm under her, bo her body extended toward the right and her right arm extended over to her left. Both of her hands appeared to be missing and only a portion of her skull appeared to be attached to her spine. She was wearing a, blue, a brown sweater. It's brown, not blue. She was wearing a brown sweater over a black undershirt and tan undergarment gray sweatpants with a rip in the rear right leg and tan socks on both feet. Now, hear this part. She was also lying on top of a blue blanket. You get that? 
Kamel is lying on top of the blanket, the same blue blanket that is covering David's legs. So his, <laughs> how they expect me to believe he did this. And I'm trying to picture, okay, how did it, how did, if, if he snapped, as you know, that's what they say. If he snapped and did this, so what did he do? Put the blanket down on the floor, then put Kamel on top of it, and then position Rania on top of her mom, on her mom's legs, and then somehow finagle it so that by some miracle, it's not physically possible to do this, when he shoots himself in the head, there's no blood spatter to show that he even shot himself in the head. There's no bullet with the blood on it. And now he somehow miraculously ends up with both legs under this blue blanket and in this kind of a position. <laughs> Can somebody please explain that? How could that happen? And I laugh because it's ludicrous. It is ridiculous and it's unfathomable how the decision was made that this was murder-suicide. How did this man do everything that is physically impossible and yet they, you know, again, how could he do this? How did both of his legs end up under the blanket that Camille is lying on top of? It, it can't happen that way. Just like he can't shoot himself in the head without having blood spatter spray going out the other side because it's a through and through. There's going to be spray somewhere and it was through and through, but there is nothing to the left of where he was standing, where that bullet came out supposedly in this house came out and I don't believe he was killed there. There's no bullet. And then, you know, th that miracle in and of itself, no bullet with blood, no brain matter, no um, high velocity spray. And then now somehow he ends up in the perfect cross position. And um, now his legs are under a blanket that his wife's body is laying on top of. I shake my head. I don't know how they came to this conclusion. I, I swear they didn't even pay attention to what they were looking at. Another thing, um, what was taking me so long was uh, doing another video. Um, like I said, I was looking into doing ballistics. Not the same report, we've already covered that. I. I am convinced 100% that to me was it. That was the smoking gun without a bullet that killed him in that house, in that living room where it should have been. And it's not there. He didn't kill himself. Somebody else pulled that trigger. And I don't even know where he was when he did it. When they did it. When I say he did it, whenever I'm assuming it was a guy that did this to them, that's an assumption on my part. However, whoever pulled that trigger and murdered David was not standing in that place. They did not shoot him in that spot in that house. 
Now, um, when I get to doing more, um, it's going to take me a little bit longer because these reports are, are convoluted when it comes to some of these ballistics. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how all of these numbering systems work in regard to this particular situation that I'm talking about. However, what I have been working on and I am just about done, we are going to be um, going over blood spatter. Now, I don't have much uh, knowledge in blood spatter at all. It, it's, it's limited. I've seen a lot of blood spatter, but that doesn't mean I understand all of it. Um, I do know the difference between high velocity, medium velocity, and low velocity. Yes, I know that. Um, but I'm not always sure what exactly causes that. I do know for an example, high velocity would be gunshot wound. Medium velocity would be um, uh, like a baseball bat, a club or a knife and low velocity, I don't know, some type of hitting like with a fist or something like that. But each one of these leaves a distinct blood pattern. And when, <clears throat> when you look at the blood patterns that are in this house. And in fact, Dr. Kelly even mentioned it when I was speaking with him. The first thing he said when he saw the blood spatter on the floor, he goes, huh, what's that? And I said, yeah, how did that get there? And he, he never went into it. Um, so I've gone and I've picked up books. This one, a forensic case book by any Genj, Genj, Genj. I, I murder people's names, and I don't mean to. I, it's it's terrible, but there's the names if you want to look that up. Um, I have another forensic book. It's not available right now, um, and so I'm relying on a lot of these professionals to help explain what could have caused some of these blood patterns. And when you see them, I'm going to show you the pictures from the scene itself where it looks like there's a line of demarcation, where there was something lied down. I don't know if it was a tarp. I don't know if it was a sheet. I don't know if it was plastic. I don't know. But you can see a straight line where there's blood. Like, like um, say this is the line and blood kind of seeped over. And it, it when you move this, you got this line of blood here. And then there's also another part that actually looks like a part of a left hand in blood next to low impact, low, uh, I'm sorry, medium velocity blood spatter. So I, I don't, but they didn't test it. They didn't luminol it to see if there's more of a handprint. It just looks like a handprint to me. Could be wrong. But when I show you guys those photos, then I will definitely ask you your opinion. And hopefully somebody out there has a little bit more knowledge. Um, because I've uh, been doing a lot of reading, but reading doesn't make up always for having first-hand knowledge. Again, um, to reiterate, I have seen a lot of different types of blood spatter. I've seen where people have coughed up blood, where they've had blood spewing out of their mouth, and it's all this fine mist where there's air in that blood. I've seen arterial spray. I've seen gunshots. I've seen knife stabbings. I've seen a lot of that. But again, I was never, my training didn't include interpreting that. It just, you looked at it, you're like going, okay, what's the MOI? Mechanism of injury. What's the MOI? What happened to this person? Stop the bleeding. That's as far as my, my training went. So 
um, with that next video, I will really be counting on those of you who have knowledge in that area to please speak up and leave comments. But as for this one, tell me what you think about this, um, where the blue blanket is covering, totally covering David's legs, his left leg and his, his it says his left foot um, is covered. It's a barefoot and it's covered. Only his right foot is partially exposed underneath that blanket. And then that same blanket is underneath Kamal. So how could he have done this? With, with it, it just with this, it doesn't make sense. We start putting all the pieces together and all of the pieces are pointing to this family was systematically murdered and David was not the perpetrator. So leave your comments, let me know what you think. All right, and thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. I know Catherine does too, and the goal is just to make this as easily accessible for you, for your research. I hope this has helped your research purposes here in this two-hour bonus show. We looked at the Dr. Kelly interview from April 3rd, 2018. We looked at the inconsistencies and the persons of interest in this case. We've looked at the BCA report number seven, which is regarding the latent prints, which I think is very important there. I'm sure you do too. We've looked at the actual oddities, some of the oddities at the time that Catherine made that video. Let's put it like that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to safely assume she's found more since then, but I could be wrong. And then last but not least, we looked at the blue blanket, something blue, something very blue about that blanket there. So hope you enjoy this. Hope it helps your research. I'll keep my comments and everything to myself, but again, we very much appreciate it. New podcast episode, first of every month two years we are now into year three in this podcast so i had a lot of bonus stuff that i've been wanting to put out and that's why you probably noticed this whole month in january 2022 you're probably seeing a lot more bonus shows coming out and we still got some more that i'm going to add here to this channel more promo videos more promo audio is that you will see at the beginning and the end and throughout the middle of each podcast going forward and uh, lots to come. So hope you enjoyed all of these. Thank you to Catherine. Again, make sure you go and subscribe to Catherine's YouTube channel. And I really appreciate everybody tuning in. Until next time, God bless you all.